You're listening to Girovagando, the cycling podcast at the 2023 Giro d'Italia. Today we are in Kaurle. And uh, could I start you in English? What happened? Yeah, um, I was actually perfectly positioned in the last corner. I took the inside because I knew uh, when I'm on the outside, I have no space uh, to launch my sprint. And actually, I was in sixth position in the moment with 250-300 to go. And then, yeah, the moment when I accelerate, my chain goes off. So, uh, yeah, I think I had the legs to win. and. Uh, Obviously, invested a lot of emotion in this opportunity today. Yeah, I'm actually suffering already. The whole Giro, just for this stage. And yeah. Today I felt it was possible to win my first Grand Tour. And just things didn't work out. Um, actually, everything went perfect till 2.50 to go. and. It's always difficult for me to position, and now I wasn't positioned, and now my chain uh, drops to 250 to go. So, a lot of suffering in the mountains to get here. Yeah, indeed, I was also sick before the rest day, and I'm, I kept on suffering because I knew this day would come. And um, yeah, I have no words for this. One more chance in Rome. Thank you, Anna. Thank you. Oh, Brian, il barone. Buonasera. Buonasera. Cheers. Buonasera, Daniel. Chin Lovely chin. spritz here. Brian, I can smell the sea air. I can smell the salt water. And unfortunately for Arna Marit, there was a bit of salt water there, as we heard. One of the more remarkable moments of the Giro for me, Brian. Yeah, I, I heard it when you sent me the audio file and I get goosebumps just thinking about it. And it's just a... It goes to show and, and you, it makes you understand how important being in a, just bringing yourself in a position to a stage win for, for someone like him. And I actually f- feel a little bit angry with myself for belittling the relevance of the stage after hearing something like that. So That's I'm, the thing, I'm feeling it? a little bit ashamed of like, you know, this was a very long and very boring stage. But when you hear something like that, it reminds you very firmly how much is really at stake on any stage. And it can be well the most important day of someone's Giro d'Italia. It can be the most important day of their season. It can be the most important day of their career. And as you say, we tend to be matter-of-fact about days like this and think they're just transitional days. We'll hear from some riders earlier who were almost treating it as such, um, as, a, as a day where they cruised along towards the coast in anticipation of much harder, more serious days, as far as the general classification is concerned, to come. But poor old Arna Marit... Well, we heard there, his chain dropped um, in the sprint. And I just, I mean, he's certainly not a rider that I was looking out for when I was standing behind the finish line today. And I saw this Antel Marche rider come over the line and his bottom lip was wobbling as he came over the line. You can hear it on the audio. Yeah, as he came over the line. And then I sort of waited and then I saw our Belgian colleague Renard Schotter from Sports and Jan-Peter de Vliga from Het Newsblad going towards him. And I think... Um, Arna's girlfriend was there as well and he gave, or his partner, and he gave her his bike. And he was just, uh, he was inconsolable for a few moments. And then he gave Renat an interview and then it broke down again in, in our interview. And, um, and also, there's, you know, every single rider at this point in the Giro has his own story with the race so far. You know, they've been through all the rain, they've, you know... We don't know what came into, like, how was this rider selected? You know, how much has he struggled? You know, and he says himself he's been sick. All of that goes into his story with, with the Giro. And then that today was just a huge lost opportunity. And that is sincerely heartbreaking. Yeah, and as we said earlier in the Giro as well, Brian, um, you know, for any one of these guys, every, well, a stage of the Giro d'Italia, not necessarily today, but there have been a lot of days on this Giro that have been a, almost a life-defining ordeal. In terms of not just in terms of results and in terms of winning, um, but just staying upright, just surviving, and yeah. then being only one among 170 
it not being really seen as remarkable either in your own team or further afield. And there was clearly an, uh, a level of emotion, a sort of quantum of emotion that had built up in Arne Marit before today. And, you know, Renard Schotter, I mentioned there, he said he'd spoken to him this morning. And already this morning, he felt that today might be his day. And, um, well... I will, regardless of where I am and what I'm doing, I'll be toasting whenever this kid's going to win a bike race. That's for sure. Brian, prior to that, it had been a challenging day for us. We've been stuck behind the race and we're challenging. Well, I mean, our, our, our logistical speaking. chain dropped like massively today. Yeah, well, as did that of a lot of people following the race today. Um, it was one of those difficult days when the off course, the sort of journalist route and the, the, the route for the rest of the caravan was on the race route for large portions and it meant that we got stuck for a long time. And um, yeah, we were in the car. But it was what well, it was a slow build, a slow boil, wasn't it? The stage, but we did see a very exciting sprint finish and one where tactics, strategy, planning, positioning were pretty key. Brian, I think it's going to be a pretty short tail of the tab. Before before we go to the tail of the tab, Brian, just ex just describe our surroundings. Well, we're sitting in the middle of a lot of people's summer holiday. I think you know we're not the only ones. Well. Anyone who's not a kid or a small child here is basically drinking spritz. And I can always tell in Italy when people are having dinner at 7 o'clock, which is pretty much when we're recording, they're tourists. No Italian has dinner this early. Especially if you've been to the beach. Most often the restaurant will be packed by 9. But here they're very busy right now. Glad to see I'm not the only one wearing sandals. I felt quite embarrassed today, <laughs> but it was good. It was a good outfit for the for the six hours in the car, I suppose. Yeah, and it's... It, it feels and smells like summer holiday, you know, the frito, you know, the deep fried, uh, various types of fish and everything, you know, and yeah. there's too many shorts here to me to think that there are a lot of Italians. And if you're slightly unclear about where we are in Italy, if you imagine Venice, so sort of under the, the left armpit of Italy, if you were, um, we are, if you go from Venice down the coast towards Trieste, towards Slovenia, towards Croatia we're just I mean if you continue long that. enough you, yeah, you're gonna end up in Turkey um, but um, yes we are in Kaorle tonight and the day stage was Pergine Valsugana to Kaorle and it's time for the tail of the tapa Brian well it's actually also time for a huge piece of salty focaccia that just came straight out of the oven so you enjoy that while I while I take one for the team it's time for the tail of the tapa stage 17 from Pergine Valsugana to Caorle, a long and not very winding stage. It was a pretty much a descent all day from the valley below Monte Bondone to the coasts here northeast of Venice. Attacked by three three men and a quarterman. I'll, I'll take that, do that again. So, well, I won't do that again. I meant it. It was a joke and it's not a good one. Four riders, one of them being Charlie Quarterman from Team Corotech, Senelayson, uh, Pablo Sevilla, and Thomas Champion. They basically Went up there, didn't get a significant gap. Sevilla won the first uh, intermediate sprint, Quarterman won the second one. Champion got dropped shortly after Quarterman Sevilla got caught, and uh, Senna Lyson went over on his own. Five kilometers to go, it was over for him. So it was all together for the last somewhat technical run into the finish. Jaquan DSM hit the front, and Michael Hepburn, in my opinion, anyways, they won the most impressive lead out leadouts I've seen in this year and sent Michael Matthews away with a wide open line, wide open. Uh, way towards the finish after actually Dainesa had opened early but it turned out to be a little too late for Matthews very little actually because the photo finish revealed that Dainesa had come back and won the stage ahead of uh, Jonathan Meelan and Michael Matthews Dainesa is local to this area especially well this time he is remember yeah, I said yeah, yesterday yeah but, but I'm actually I've, so I have something to say here unless you actually adhere to the freebie calculation of home terrain but he is from Abano Terme close to Padova some 90 kilometers from here Whereas we know from the Friuliani we spoke about yesterday, if you're more than 130, you're totally not local. Anyways, uh, impressive win for Danese, who actually hasn't won since he you won in... You uh, salty focaccia. You we've, got very, we've, got, we've got a very salty night guard. So uh, he, he hasn't won since he won in the Giro last year, stage 11 to Reggio Emilia, and he's been quite sick actually on the stage to Bergamo. He was the last man uh, to finish, and he had said today in the press conference he had stopped 10 times. He had a stomach bug that had deprived him of sleep, and he had he really he had been fighting a lot to stay in the race, and it, it paid off. No changes in the GC, 
no chances in the pod competition, no chances obviously in the climbers competition. Here we are. Yes, Brian. And well, because there was not too much to talk about in the stage besides the sprint finish and the build-up to the sprint finish, although I should say that the, the four in the breakaway did ride very strongly. Um, Charlie Quarterman of Coratech, another strong ride from him. And they were harder to catch than one would have perhaps imagined. Senna Layson as well, riding well, in front of his dad, being managed by his dad, Bart Layson in the Alpecin team car. But um, yeah, let's talk a bit about the sprint, Brian, before we hear from someone who was involved in the planning of the sprint. Uh, you mentioned Jaco Alulu doing an excellent job. We heard earlier... You should mention that Pasqualano also did a good job initially for Danese. Yes, he was trying to he was, he was was trying to cut a sway through the peloton, find a good spot for Milan, but Milan ended up starting a sprint a long, long way back. Um, the team that well were the most impressive and were rewarded were DSM in the sense that I noticed they surged with about 2.9 kilometers to go on the inside. And that was almost, they almost treated that, it looked like like their finish line. Can I have um, a word about uh, Jonathan Milan's sprinting technique? Go on. Because I've been wondering what it actually looks like. And today I think I, I finally got it. So imagine like a bunch of bike riders sprinting for the finish line as they would do on a stage like today. And then you have like an aquarium where you take up a live fish and you just throw it onto the asphalt. And it's just like wiggling about and taking up a lot of space and just like moving just as much to the side as uh, forwards. That's pretty much Jonathan Milan's sprinting style. It's paid off. It's one stage. It's been very close. Uh, sort of a lobster, lobster, and lobster thermidor. Yeah, the along those lines. <laughs> something like that. Yeah, the the, free, the lobster from Friuli. Brian, if Jonathan Milan is a lobster thermidor, I'm not. Well versed enough in crustacea to come up with a better nickname, but um, what does that make Alberto Dinesi? He's more crab-like, isn't he? Um, he's quite diminutive, and he really impressed me. I mean, I mentioned the the role his team played today. We're going to hear more about that in a minute. Particularly, you know, I did hear this morning that it was going to be absolutely key to be well placed, well placed at four kilometers ago, and they did treat it almost as their finish line, that two point nine kilometers to go mark. And we saw other riders, other sprinters pretty emphatically not be in the right position for example Mark Cavendish was about about, say, yeah. yeah he was about 30 positions back which has kind of been the story of a lot of his sprints to the Giro d'Italia he hasn't really had the it's it's not necessarily people always talk about the lead out man but it's Cavendish at this Giro has been a good example of how it's about much more than the last yeah. the last link of the chain I mean I also feel like the Astana team around him are they deserve credit for him still being in the race. He obviously still needs to pedal himself. But I think they're better equipped to helping him on the tough mountain stages. And he'll definitely need them if he wants to have a go at his last Giro stage win in, in Rome on Sunday. So, yeah, that's all. I think, I don't know, but I also get a sense that, and I, I actually understand that completely, but princes are a breed of their own, that he may be not that risk prone as he was even if a couple of years ago. Yeah, and I, I, I personally think that's totally understandable. Yeah. Going back to Dainese, he and DSM, well, they used a lot of their resources in that 2.9 kilometers to sort of 500 meters ago. And then Dainese was, he was almost left on his own in the last three, 400 meters. And actually it looked at one stage as though Jaco Alula had got the jump yeah. and that he'd reacted too slowly, but he came with a lot of speed and did react, and Milan at that point was coming from even further back, sprinting very fast as well. But Dainese, there's a, a curious, well, the, the two stage wins that he's had in the Giro d'Italia, one in Reggio Emilia, which we mentioned, and this one, they have a curious thing in common. Um, neither of them have had a climb of any description. He's the king of the Pianura Padana. Someone give that man a billiard cue, because <laughs> he is, the, he is yeah. a master of the green bays. That's true. Um, I don't know. I I don't know whether that's a coincidence or not. It, well, you can say what you want, but uh, billiards or not, but the amount of suffering he's had to put in well, exactly. to get up the other parts of the race has been very impressive. Exactly, and I should say I did look back. Uh, he had some good results in the 2021 Vuelta. He was second in the state of La Manga there, and on that day there wasn't a lot of climbing, but there was 900 meters of climbing. So um, it's not that he can only perform when. Uh, the stage is as flat as a piadina. Can only but imagine how much he's gone through. I mean, can man have like riding the Giro with a stomach bug? Well, we heard earlier in the in the Giro, didn't we, about the stage? Which stage was that? Um, the stage to Salerno, I think it was, where his, or maybe yeah, I think it was the stage to Salerno, where his team manager or his 
team director sportif Matt Winton had to hug him for two minutes yeah. because he was so freezing cold. In fact, Brian, um, let's actually hear from Matt Winston about the planning that went into today's stage and also about what has been an outstanding Giro so far for DSM with Andreas Lechnerson, of course, having spent several days in the pink jersey and still riding high in the general classification. Well, Matt, we knew that it was a technical finale in sort of the four kilometres to go point I thought from there was going to be crucial to be in a position already there. I mean, talk about the plan for that finale today. Yeah, I mean, we were 50-50 at the start. We were a bit nervous that it was going to be a sprint, to be honest, because last year in Treviso, we also saw the break make it. Um, so, yeah, we were, we were never kind of relaxing, saying it's for sure a sprint day. Um, but we knew it was a technical final. Uh, we know we've got some good guys that can ride really well in the corners. And, you know, everyone asks us all the time, is Danese the sprinter, is Meyerhoff the sprinter? But just look at the job that Marius did there. In the long straight down by the coast, he brought the team into, the, into that first left-hander through the next one. And then Nicholas could surf for a minute on the Jayco rider. Then he went. And then, again, Alberto really picked up a good position there. So, you know, everyone always asks, how do you work with two sprinters? But that was that really nice teamwork. And I'm, uh, I'm really happy with the job the guys did. When you're trying to plot a finale like that, sort of four kilometres to the finish or more even, how precise can you be in terms, you know, is it right on the sort of 100 metre mark or 700 metre mark or 1.2 kilometres or is there, there's always a degree of improvisation? Yeah, for sure. I think we have to, we, we have our plan, but we have to have a little bit of a improvisation there. Like you never know that Jayco Ryder is going to come and then hit the front and then you can use him as long as you don't get boxed and then you go to the next one, go to the next one. So we have our plan, our markers. We need to be here in this moment, top five, top three, etc. Um, and it, you, you don't know what other teams are going to do in that moment, so you have to just kind of stick to your plan and just use those guys a little bit. And is it fair to say, stages like this, they're also won on days like the day when you hugged Alberta for two, I think you told me, for two or five minutes to keep him warm, and well, they're, they're won in the mountains as well to be able to suffer through those days. Yeah, exactly, and he was, he was kind of really struggling on Sunday. He finished 45 minutes behind, all alone, rode most of the stage totally alone. Um, battle through because he knew this stage was going to be one where he could win um, and that as a sprinter that's what you have to do in these days you have to battle for it it's a mental battle as well and um, yeah it's really nice good year for you so far excellent year for you so far yeah I think we can be happy we, we said we wanted to come for stages uh, five days in the pink we could have walked away satisfied but now we tick the, the stage win box as well so I'm really happy and I'll just ask you one last thing, Matt. Um, what's the goal now for Lechnerson? Have you set a, a sort of mark where you want him to finish? Yeah, again, we leave it a little bit open. It's 30 seconds to um, in the top five. So um, we, we, we try and hold that GC for now and just see how it goes in the coming days. The Cycling Podcast at the 2023 Giro d'Italia is supported by Science in Sport. Science in Sport, fueled by science. The Cycling Podcast coverage of the Giro d'Italia is sponsored by Science in Sport. If you would like to shop the Science in Sport range, go to scienceinsport.com. The Beta Fuel gels have 40 grams of dual carbohydrates proven to deliver maximal energy with minimal stomach discomfort. I've been talking to the Ineos Grenadiers rider Pavel Sivakov during the Giro and I asked him, what has cycling given him? Well, Gave me a lot. I think he gave me, yeah, it's made me the person I am today. I think the the work ethic, um, also like respecting people as well. You know, um, yeah, I think a lot of qualities. It's it's a great sport. You know, it's like at the end individual. So you 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 know how to push yourself. You know how to work hard for something but it's also a team sport you have so many people supporting you around like you know a team even like a team as ours there are so many people working together and working for you so you're also respectful for that so yeah it just gave me gave me a lot I think uh, yeah without cycling for sure I would be another person La Renzando, a postcard from Italy, with Larry Warbass. Larry, well, that looked like a, I know, when we say leisurely day, you guys bristle, but it looked relatively leisurely in the context of this Giro d'Italia. Yeah, it was, uh, I mean, maybe one of the first days was slightly similar, but, uh, I mean, other than the first few days of the race, that was the chillest day yet, so that was really nice, you know, I think, like, 
at the start, everyone was pretty happy to see, you know, a small break go, except for uh, Jayco. Uh, like, Matthews was trying really hard to go, but uh, all the sprint teams weren't going to let that happen. So, um, <clears throat> once it was clear that, like, the four guys went away, um, actually, they rode a really good tempo at first, uh, because I think the guys in front maybe pushed pretty hard. And uh, then once I think the guys in front realized that it was a lost cause, they slowed down and we slowed down a lot on the peloton. So I had some nice chats. I was going to say, who, who, you must have had some nice chats today. Who was on the sort of the psychologist, the psychologist couch? Uh, yeah, I chatted with Sepp Cuss for a really long time. Okay. Uh, you know, just American things. And then I had a nice talk with Derek G. Oh, yeah. Told him. You can share about Derek. You know, we've got like a reg- regular feature now. Derek, wo- oh, Derek G's words of wisdom. Well, I told, uh, I gave him some Larry's words of wisdom, which was... Uh, you better strike while the iron's hot and try to renegotiate and get as much money as you can. So, uh, yeah, that's, uh, well, we had a nice chat and I was just telling him, you know, how well he was doing and, and yeah, that he should uh, search for extra zeros. Yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure he knows that. Larry, on a day like today, um, I don't know what your job was, but where do you try to be in the peloton on a day like today? <clears throat> well, I mean... My job is more just, like, watch out for Aurelian if he had any problems. But, uh, I mean, it was so chill that, like, essentially it was just, like, shut off, relax, uh, try to recover, you know. So um, we just chilled in the back of the Peloton until, like, the last, you know, 20, 30K. Then I was like, okay, let's, like, get to the front just in case anything happens. uh, If there was wind or, you know, to avoid crashes and stuff. So... Yeah, just in the final, we tried to ride at the front, stay out of trouble, but uh, that was it. It's a rare day when your experience sounds more pleasurable than ours. We were stuck behind the, We were stuck behind you lot all day, cursing you for not going faster. Yeah, yeah, I bet. I was thinking about Adam uh, on the motorbike. I was like, that's probably a really boring day to be on the motorbike if he was there today. But, uh, but yeah, uh, boring days can be nice every once in a while in bike races, so for us at least. So we'll catch up with you tomorrow morning. We're expecting you in the break tomorrow. Okay, sounds good. Hope to be there. All right, chaps. So um, we're just seeing Garrett Thomas go past. Um, hearty round of applause for him but Thomas Glogue is your man the Glogue Trotters but this this sounds like it's sounds like it's been quite hastily put together although you put a lot in, of work into the into the sign and um, who came up with this so our friend James here came up with the name or the pun and then I knew someone who owns a website called cheapflags.co.uk um, we, we got it put it together we were already coming to the Giro and we just wanted someone to support and we were quite taken with his story, um, how he came last minute. Well, I was going to say, there's a nice parallel, isn't there, between his story and the flag and cheapflags.com. Um, very much, very much sort of cobbled together at the last minute. Where are you from, chaps? We're from all over the UK. Um, I'm from Northumberland, people from London. Um, we met at yeah. uni in Edinburgh. We mostly um, live in London. We're all friends of the podcast, or at least most of us are. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 we all just enjoy cycling, and it's our first time coming on a grand tour, so we thought... Let's get behind someone and just go 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 all in for a rider. How many how many days are you here for? We're here for the final week, so we've done about three days, and then we're heading into the Dolomites after this. Uh, we promised Thomas we'll give him a bit more support. He seemed to, he seemed to enjoy that. So, yeah. he's, a, he's a very nice, amiable, um, well-educated chap like like yourselves. Um, <laughs> what's the plan? What's the spectating experience over the next few days? Have you taken any advice from anyone? I'm terrible at giving advice to spectating because I never really do it. So people always ask, and I never know what to suggest. So we're we're in two camper vans between the seven of us. So that's been quite interesting. That's it's tight. That's been dictating <laughs> right. the 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 way we get about. It's been a mixture of parking up and cycling. Yesterday we went up Bondoni. Uh, that was tough but uh, uh, I think we'll do a bit of that and then uh, yeah see how we go excellent, excellent. Um, any plans for any more merchandise uh, you, you guys going to take things to the next yeah, level we've got 100 stickers as well that we haven't we haven't <laughs> cheapstickers.com we haven't deployed them yet they came yeah. free with the flag actually um, but yeah we'll find somewhere to put them over the course of the next few days have you decided, because there are a lot of emerging British riders, have you decided that this is where your allegiance is going to lie? On, for he, the, he, he's, he's our man for the next five years, I think. Yeah. <laughs> Just five. For the next five, 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 five year contract and then we'll see, we'll see how he's going. Yeah. Yeah. Last thing, chaps, any songs? 
Any chance? Yeah, you, you know the the Harlem Globetrotters theme? We just adapt that, so it's a bit how's like... It, how's it go? Globetrotters, do do do, Globetrotters. <laughs> I think the rest of what we just recorded might make the cup. I'm not sure about that. <laughs> I've, met, I've bumped into Derek G fans, an increasing number of Derek G fans on the on the Giro d'Italia route. I think there was some at the bus today. Really? With Derek G, yeah, who were sort of welcomed onto the bus. So that'll be you tomorrow. You'll be getting all the VIP treatment on the Israel Premier Tech bus. Um, what, which of these nicknames, these candidates for his nickname, do you prefer? I think uh, the Ottawa Osprey is a solid one, but the Loon uh, represents all of Canada, and so I think the Loon. Um, I mean, the Beaver would have been good, but I realize it doesn't fly. Um, I've been problematic. Yeah, so I think the Loon. I'm, I'm voting for the Loon. Where are you guys from? Uh, Montreal. And uh, we've got a silent partner. <laughs> yeah, Montreal. And you're here for four days? We're here for four days. We just arrived from the, the Venice Architecture Biannual. So we were here for culture, but now the real trip begins. We're hoping for a stage win, uh, but we'll be there with the loon the whole way regardless, cheering him on. The important thing is that he completes the Giro and uh, continues flying. Um, what are your names? Didier. Didier, uh, tu es francophone? Québécois. Mais on est Québécois, c'est Ariel. Excellent. Je vous souhaite un bon séjour en Italie. Et puis. Bon, bon route, bonne route pour Derek. <laughs> merci beaucoup, merci. Well, Brian, very much enjoyed getting involved with some of the Tifosi today. Uh, Canadian fans, British fans, the Gloak Trotters there. Uh, it was that kind of day on the Giro d'Italia, wasn't it? It was another one of those days that felt much more like the Giro d'Italia, slightly, or by virtue of the weather, mainly. Yeah. Also, we, we sort of, we, I think we talked about that a couple of nights ago on the rest day, that it, it finally, I mean, you wouldn't say that the rest day would, but it finally felt like the Giro. It feels like May, you know, it feels like we're on the brink of summer. It's a lot more fun for the fans to be out, you know. Don't want to watch the Giro below underneath an umbrella. So, yeah, I agree. It's actually, and I think a lot of the people who are here today also probably had already started some of their holidays. And, you know, regardless of the Giro, it, it feels very laid back and, yeah, festive in a in a slightly touristy way, but why not? What did you make, Brian? Before that, we heard our good friend, the Motown maestro, Larry Warbass, giving Derek G some financial advice, urging him to, well, if he is in the process of renegotiating, renegotiating his contract, then make sure he gets amply rewarded for his exploits in this Giro d'Italia, um, striking while the iron is hot. Wow. Well, I mean, when you see what he's, what he's actually been able to do here on a, on a late call, it's extremely impressive. And to be able to be impressive in that team environment, well, they have so many strong riders. I think he's, I don't think he needs to worry about contract renewal. Uh, if not where he is now, then, then elsewhere. And he's so young. It, with what he's delivered here, should definitely give him a, a, a good contract um, just because of what he's showed us here. Financial advice, yeah, I don't know. I can suggest wine, but I'm not sure that that's going to help his career quite further. Larry, the financial advisor, Larry, the psychologist, uh, Larry, the we've had what else? We've had Larry, the cultural envoy, um, delegate on this Giro d'Italia. Brian, we're going to talk a little bit, uh, kind of tangentially, as always on the Cycling Podcast, we're talking a little bit about contracts because... Well, last night we were slightly guilty of maybe not spending as much time as we should have talking about the fact that Geraint Thomas was in the pink jersey. And this got me thinking about our conversation with Geraint Thomas in the winter. He was, our, he, he was the winner of our comeback of the year title on Cycling Podcast at the end of last year. Some people quibbled with the definition of a comeback, but he did finish on the podium of the Tour de France um, after some difficult months and, and previous year. And there had been this question mark of whether he was going to re-sign for Team Sky the previous winter, so 2021-2022. And he'd alluded in several interviews to this sense that the team didn't maybe have the same belief in him that they once had that they had presented to him this plan whereby he was going to play a slightly different role he was going to share leadership in fact just to make sure that we put this conversation in its full context let's hear a little bit of that interview and Geraint Thomas talking about how he did feel about renewing his contract with Team Sky or trying to renew hoping to renew his contract with not, not Team Sky in the Australian Team Sky was about 15 years ago now this sort of time last year, October, November, like the contract was still 
ongoing or maybe a bit earlier actually still in the season but um the team sort of just basically um saw my role changing and more of um being there for the younger guys uh you know the salary was obviously a lot lower but there was bonuses when it came to helping people and results myself but it was kind of like without being like telling me exactly word for word like but the feeling i got was we don't really think you're good enough in the next couple of years and it just got to the stage where i was just like well, well i'm just going to chat to the team myself and it felt like sometimes it, it wasn't too clear um but then you know at, at the end of the day i had another offer a good offer from another team but i would i would prefer to stay even in this new role they saw for me which i still believed i could ride better than that i could still perform myself and go for results but my feeling was i'd just rather in the twilight of my career last two three years i'd rather stay where i am because i know i get on with so many of the riders a lot of them are my childhood mates i know the staff really well it's a good environment for me um if i was to change it'd be purely for the money and it was never about that it was just wanting to enjoy my last few years and and we say it's not about the money but then at the same time you want to feel appreciated you know it's this the money is how much they sort of value you almost but you know i accepted that um i chose to stay and i'm really happy i did because um i still had all the support um there wasn't as much expectation obviously because of the sort of role they saw me doing but it was just the pressure i put on myself to so i was like right it's not necessarily just proving the team wrong but it's you know you felt the same from the surroundings as well you know like I, I don't read too much on social media or cycling websites but stuff filters through you know and and a lot of people talking about my age and you know past it now and this and that and I just wanted to show people I'm still okay didn't win the tour but you know you're still in there fighting and, and in the mix really and can still perform in other races so Brian that was Geraint talking about how this sort of new role had been presented to him. But I thought it'd be interesting, you know, several months on with him in the position that he's in now, leading the general classification, just to hear the team's view on that. And certainly Rod Ellingworth, he would have been heavily involved in the uh, negotiations to kind of, uh, well, he's not the, the team principal, but um, he's very much involved in the high-level decisions at Ineos Grenadiers. Um, just to hear what he says now with Geraint, possibly on the brink of well i think going to us a, a different tier graduating from the status already of legend within british cycling to being one of the riders who's left a very very deep imprint on this era in professional cycling here's rod ellingworth this morning that, that, that was never the case you didn't lose faith in him no, I mean, I've not really had them conversations with him. I know he sort of said a few things, uh, uh, you know, in the past. But, you know, at the end of the day, uh, what I was very clear with G as well about was, um, you know, he won the Tour 18, second in 19. You know, you, you're talking about trying to win things. You've got to be a, a, a winner. You've got to be consistent with your winning sometimes. And he hadn't won for quite a while. So I was like, just being really upfront going, you know, you hadn't won for a little while. We've got to go in with a different approach and we've got to go in with you know, a couple of hats on. And, and, and it's nothing new for us to go in with two joint leaders or, you know, backup leader or whatever. So, you know, there's no, I was just dead straight with him. He was dead straight with me and what he meant by by that. You know, we had a really good conversation and, and no disbelief. I, you know, I don't think for a second he thinks that I don't believe in him, you know, and um, always have done. You know, we, we, yeah, we've just been cracking on, to be honest. One of the real key things here is, you know, over a year ago, Geraint said, I want to try and win the Giro. And that's what I really like about Geraint is, you know, he's, he's worked hard at this. Even though it hasn't been an, you know, an easy journey the last sort of six months, he's still, he's here now leading the race. Who knows if he's going to win it or not. But he's, he's, I like it when somebody puts, puts themselves on the line and says, I want to win that. We've backed him all the way. So I don't think from within the team there's been any signs of not believing in him or, or giving his opportunity. So, Brian, um... I thought that was interesting. Um, yeah. Rod yeah, yeah. sort of 
almost challenging Geraint. He, he, you know, he laid out to him. He said, look, you have not had the result. You've not been the winner that we expected you to be over the, or that maybe you wanted to be over the last year or so. And consequently, we are going to have to, well, sort of um, hedge our bets a little bit in Grand yeah. Tours going forward. One thing that I... I think it's beyond discussion is the the value that Garen Thomas has for that whole uh, outfit you know that one, first one of the first riders to sign with Team Sky he's been there always you know he's he won the tour when others couldn't you know he was like basically the third man the, the year he did it and I think the the value they would have just by having him on the team not regardless of any role you, I mean, knowing him a little bit, he, he would always want to perform well, so he would just call it quits. I think you cannot under, underestimate his the, his the importance of his presence in the team. He's not just any other rider, he's Garen Thomas, and he, that means a lot also to the audience. But I, I have to say, it takes a lot of guts from a rider who, that late, he's you know, turning 37, you said, tomorrow, basically laying it out and saying, I'm, I think I can win the Giro. And I know I have a co-captain uh, you know, in the, on the road in, in Tel Gegenhardt, but then actually putting in the work and believe, you would have to believe in it yourself. Knowing that he would be up against Evenepoel, knowing that he would be up against Roglic and all that, and just still taking it in his stride and not losing sight of, of where, what he wants to do. At that age, I, have, I really have to say I have so much respect for that. Yeah, and people yesterday were talking about Primoz Roglic and we're talking about his age and suggesting that maybe these are the first symptoms of the first signs of decline with Primoz Roglic. And then you look at Garrett Thomas, who's three or four years older than Roglic and, um, well, certainly shows no signs of slowing down. It's going to be fascinating, Brian, over the next couple of days, these mountain stages. We're going to talk about tomorrow's mountain stage in particular in a minute, but there are various theories doing the rounds about who might suit which day, um, largely based on these sort of subjective impressions and conclusions that have been extrapolated from the two. I mean, we hear that a lot in the Italian TV Yeah, from every the, day. Yeah, from the two riders' past performances, also their, their body weight, how they look on a bike in some cases, yeah. this idea that, you know, a guy is better on And you can decipher their climbs. physical yeah. ability. Yeah, and very often it comes down to, well, a simple equation, watts and weight. And, well, um, what's, what's left? I mean, this is a three-week stage what's race. What's and what's left? Yeah, and I mean, in the, in the sense that this duel will be won by the rider who has recovered the stages so far and who still have something left to, to basically challenge the others when the race is at its hardest. And it's a stage race. It has nothing to do with what they did two, three years ago. It has, has everything to do with their current state. How, well, how well have they recovered and how much do they have left? Brian, I can tell you one thing. If it was a Giro d'Italia quiz and not a bike race, Garant Thomas would not win because tonight Chiro in the press conference asked him about the Trecima di Lavaredo. Oh dear. The mythical climb that is coming in two days' time. Two days' time, isn't it? Uh, where Eddie Merckx created some of his legend, Vincenzo Nibali, one of the, as I said, the legendary summits in the Dolomites. And Chiro asked him, was he familiar with any of this history? Uh, Garant asked him to repeat the question first, <laughs> and then he he verified that it that Chiro was talking about a climb, and that this unpronounceable word was the name of a climb, and then finally said, "No, I don't know anything about that." I mean, <laughs> Garant Thomas is up there with Peter Sagan about being completely oblivious to any history of cycling. I think he, I'm, well, I'm convinced he knows more about rugby than he does about the sport that he's actually, you know, one of the legends of himself. It must be a relief sometimes also because it's, you know, it's not taking up his recovery time reading about yesteryear. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. 
At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. You're listening to Girovagando, the cycling podcast at the 2023 Giro d'Italia. Well, Brian, I think it's time for a change of pace. I think it's time for our chiacchierata del giorno. I had some great comments today about yesterday's edition with Leonardo Piccione, the volcanologist turned Eurovision Song Contest museum curator turned Giro d'Italia podcaster, Pugliese, Italo-Icelandic. Absolutely fascinating. I hope today's edition is going to be equally fascinating for different reasons. It's a very reflective Um, almost philosophical edition of the Chiacchierata del Giorno. And it is with the veteran, I'm going to call him a veteran, um, hope he doesn't take offence, veteran Bora Hansgrohe rider Cesare Benedetti, former cycling podcast audio diarist, 35 years old. Um, he's ridden many Giri d'Italia. Former pink jersey. Former pink jersey. And he... He's currently, or well nowadays, rides for Poland. He represents Poland rather than Italy, although he was born in Italy, um, because that is the country of his wife's birth. Anyway, Cesare, well, he had a very emotional day on Tuesday because he was riding, racing the Giro d'Italia on home roads. I spoke to him about it this morning. La chiacchierata del giorno. The teen wag of the day. Cesare Benedetti, yesterday I know it was a special day for you because we went through your home village. Just just tell us, because if I look on the internet, it tells me you were born in Rovereto. Where exactly were you born? Yeah, I mean, I was born in the hospital in, in Rovereto, which is the nearest one to, um, to Ronzo Kienis, uh, the, the, the place where, uh, where I was born and where I raised up. And yeah, it was a special, uh, special feeling for sure. It was the third time in Giro history that the race uh, went through through the village. Uh, the first two times were in 20, uh, 2001 2002. And, and for me, for sure, it was the, the, last, uh, the last chance uh, to, to go through this village uh, with Giro because, uh, you know, uh, I don't think, I don't know how long my career will still be uh, going, but... Uh, i don't think that the, the closest years there will be another another stage going through the valley. Uh, that made me really proud. Uh, I think uh, it was uh, my the peak of my career uh, concerning the emotions, uh, and, uh, and that's uh, that's with, that will stay um, uh, in my soul for forever. You know, in some years uh, I will probably forget about results and uh, performances but uh, not about this uh, this kind of feelings so what did you see yesterday when you got to the the town sign i guess tell me what was take take us inside your mind what places did you see did you see any people that you knew what did you see yeah i remember i mean there was, was a lot of people there uh, i remember for sure a couple of faces i haven't managed to see my wife but i've seen my one of my daughters <laughs> And yeah, they were the school kids uh, uh, having a break and watching the race, uh, screaming my name, and all the um, the things written on the written on the on the roads and the asphalt and uh, on these banners. Uh, it was uh, unbelievable. Yeah. And uh, Cheche, you ride now for Poland because your wife is Polish, and um, I'm just interested in this. What to you is home? Because there are lots of definitions of home. I think my favorite definition, there is a, a Bosnian writer called Alexander um, Hemon who said, home is where people notice when you're not there. Um, what, what is home to you? I think Ronzo Kien in Val di Cresta is, uh, is, my, is my home. It's the place where, uh, where I would like to be buried. <laughs> uh, after, for sure, uh, after, when I wanna, the place where I want to die, for sure. Uh, why? Because one of my dreams, you know, when once uh, I won't be here anymore, is as that I could uh, I could travel with my soul back in the back in the years, and I could see uh, all the changes the changes in the valley that were going through the through the years, and with the people, uh, with the 
everything. You know, that's that's, that's the place, and and uh, I started to to love uh, the place even more when I when I became professional. Probably when I started to travel more, I've seen a lot of beautiful places, uh, beautiful people. Uh, but that's uh, that's Ronzakian is a place that um, uh, wakes up something uh, inside my soul. Yeah. And what what changes have you already seen? If we were to compare to 30 years ago, um, how has it changed? Well, when the Giro was there uh, 22 years ago, first time, there was an uh, old road coming from uh, Santa Barbara to the to the village, and. Um, yeah, and in that year uh, they were going up that way, and it was even harder. <laughs> yeah, we have a lot, some buildings more. Uh, the the kids now they speak a bit less dialect, more Italian. Uh, what is the dialect? What is the dialect? Yeah, is it Latin? Uh, no, it's not Latin. It's like, uh, I don't know Trentino, and you know in Trentino every every valley has a different accent, yeah. uh, different words for things, uh, and. Uh, Many things have changed, uh, but I think uh, the people uh, are still those uh, hard rocks uh, they used yeah, to be. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, Cece, I hope you have many more Giri d'Italia, and I hope you do get the chance to go through there again. But I would also understand that if you retired just to get away from this awful music that they're playing on the bus. Uh, that's uh, Bob Jungel's music, uh, you know, as a as a lover of the 60s and Beatles, Elvis, uh, yeah, that's not really my music, but uh, yeah, I will survive some more days. Well, Brian, I'm not going to ask you to tell us where you would like your ashes to be scattered or where you would like to be buried. <laughs> Thank you for not asking that question. Yeah. But uh, still it's making me think of, about it. Plenty of life in the old dog yet. Yeah, uh, thank you. I would suggest. Even at the last third week of the Giro, if you can do, if you still feel alive at this point of the race, you have a long way to go. Brian, still plenty to go in this Giro d'Italia. I'm going to ask you, as always, in just a second to tell us about tomorrow's stage. La tappa di domani e la cena di ieri. Tomorrow's stage, yesterday's dinner. Brian, let's yesterday's dinner. Uh, not one of our more memorable ones, but not bad by any means. We had a pizza um, close to where we were staying in. We were staying in Ravina, just at the foot of Monte Bondone, just outside Trento. Um, this morning I had a lovely run up sort of lower slopes of Monte Bondone and I happened upon a beautiful, very, very beautiful waterfall um, which people who follow us on Instagram will have seen pictures and videos of. Brian, last night's dinner, any comments? Uh, last night's dinner, I mean, had Alberto Grandi uh, turned on the, the non-existing webcam of this corner of Italy. Even he would have been upset with... Our, how we compl our compass for Italian gastronomy just probably had the same faith as your had the same fate as your iPhone, but we had Napolitano pizza in Tantino. in Trento. Uh, that's as far off as it could be. But it, it, there was some sense to this madness because the owners was a couple. She was from she was local from Trento, and he was from Sorrento. He was uh, of Campania origin, so pizza was was had, and it wasn't a bad pizza at all. And uh, there were all kinds of German beers on the table, but also there was uh, there was you know how the owner she came and like shook her head and was like you can't tell my husband you can't tell my husband because there was a British couple who had put grano which is like the the the, the, the pro the pro country version of parmesan uh, <laughs> splintered all over their pasta vongole and that is cheese that is and as big fish. of a, a, oh. a no no as you could yeah. possibly have anyway we had a we had a delightful, delightful pizza and good company as always. And then we wander back to our delightful hotel or, or bed and breakfast. Very enjoyable in general in, as in terms of ambience. Brian, tomorrow's stage. Tomorrow's stage, yeah. Then that, it's a hard mountain stage, but probably of the three remaining, potentially the, potentially the least devastating for the GC. But who knows? Because the top of... So it's... 160 kilometers from Odesso to Valdisoldo. The first, top of the first climb, the Passo della Crosetta, is after 41 kilometers 
and the last three of five in total are all in the last 37 kilometers. It's not the longest climbs of, uh, of this Giro, but there's some very serious gradients, especially on the second last. The climb up to Koi is very hard and has an average of 10%. A lot of attacking possibilities in the last 40 kilometers, mixed of, mixed of downhill and uphill. Should be hopefully an interesting stage. Could, could be a race in a race with the breakaway and the GC guys. We'll see. Brian, some fascinating names. I always love the, the toponyms on the Giro. Some of the names of the climbs are fantastic. The Paso de la Croceta. Um, our great friend, our great late friend Richard Moore and I spent a morning up there in 2021. The stage two that was finishing in Cortina d'Ampezzo was, well, decapitated in a sense it lost um, a couple of its key climbs that day but the first climb on the route was the Paso de la uh, Crozeta and Richard and I were up there to sample some of the atmosphere mobile phones flying right on Vincenzo Nibali Vincenzo Nibali second over the summit ridge and here come the peloton about what 20-30 seconds behind and it's Lorenzo Lucky Lorenzo Lucky Lorenzo You asked me, Daniel, who I expect to see first. I, I fully expect to see Hugh Carthy on his own in a skin suit. And that was that's a great memory, Brian. Um, great memory for Egan Bernal as well. That was where he really built his Giro Triumph in 2021. Um, the Forcella Cibiana, another lovely name. Forno di Zoldo, the oven of Zoldo. Um, at the foot. Hope they ride. Yeah, the, yes, I hope so. After this Giro, at uh, the foot of um, tomorrow's climb, but it is a it's a fascinating one. Bit of a kicker up to the line. A key day for Primoz Roglic, I would suggest. Um, I saw Brian. The, the buses had to leave early today, didn't they? And that, that I think left, we all had somehow. Well, we, we just didn't. It, yeah, and this left a lot of the riders sort of aimlessly, kind of circling around random car parks somewhere in the vicinity of well, the start. Well, including there was a FDJ rider. Leaning up against our car while you were coming back from the from the buses to try and sort out his cleats. Oh, really? Yeah, were, yeah. And um, there were quite a lot attending to which we should we call them physiological nature breaks. Yes. Um, I saw. I bumped into Sepp Kuss. He was one of those riders, sort of circling a random car park in Pedersen Valley. Just loves his riding bike so much. At about eleven forty today, and um, I said, Sepp. Is Primoz going to bounce back tomorrow? And he said, oh, yeah, man, absolutely. So um, there you go. Um, we expect we expect a show from Primoz Roglic tomorrow. 37 kilometers uh, uh, Rog Roglic. Yes. Uh, uh, Bonafide Roglification. It would be great for the race, although you know, I also spoke to Matteo Tozato, the Ineos Grenadiers uh, direct sportive this morning, and he said, we're treating it as though yesterday, i.e. when... Primoz Roglic lost 20 odd seconds as though it didn't happen. The position is still the same. Status quo is still uh, Roglic, Almeida, Thomas, pretty much on an even footing. Brian, I think that's about it for today. Um, we'll be back tomorrow from Val di Zoldo. I say it's just about it. Well, you talked about gastronomic heresies, blasphemies, taboos a minute ago. And we're going to break one here. We're going to break one also as far as the podcast is concerned because we never have our cappuccino break with Lionel Bernie this late, but we are going to violate that rule today. And the last thing you're going to hear is, well, me in conversation with Lionel sometime after midday today on the road to Kaorle. So it's good night from me in the meantime. I'm Brian. Good night and thank you. It's past 11, time for my cappuccino break. La pausa cappuccino con Lionel Bernie. Dopo le 11. Buongiorno, Lionel. Ciao, Daniele. How are you? How's the Italian coming on? Uh, not too bad, After but I'm in. Uh, I'm in. I'm in central London today, so I've uh, put it on. Put it on pause. Um, not not I'm Watford. Out, I'm not in not Watford. No, I'm outside the Business Design Centre in London's Angel at the Podcast Show 2023. Back-to-back, uh, -back high-powered meetings, Daniel, as you expect. I'm also meeting a couple of our excellent producers, Adam and Tom, for a coffee shortly. So, missing the Giro today. We'll catch up with mm. it when I listen to the podcast in the morning. Not a bad day to miss it, I would suggest, until about half four anyway. We've been well, stuck behind the race today. 
uh, which was predictable because the off-course route was actually on the course today and yeah, we and a lot of the Jura caravan have been stuck behind the race so it's going to be it's a bit of a car chase to get to the finish ahead of the race today so um, yeah always frantic these days when the race starts quite late Um, it's always a bit of a job to get ahead of the peloton it's going to be frantic at the finish maybe a victory for Mark Cavendish who knows this morning Daniel I listened to your absolutely excellent kilometre zero really nice reflection on his retirement announcement on Monday very well put together by our producer Hugh as well and it made me feel quite wistful and nostalgic made me think that those days of 2007 2008 when Cavendish was just setting out on his journey to kind of transform British cycling it feels like half a lifetime ago which it almost is and yet it feels like just yesterday as well but very nice yeah, work I, on that oh thank you Lionel. yeah I can't remember whether I said this in the episode but you know talking to some of my colleagues some of our colleagues particularly Belgian colleagues um I think we just forget and we will start to remember just how uh, entertaining those first two or three years um, were with the you know the victories the controversies particularly some of the controversies which were very funny at times there was there's been a lot of sort of humor that has accompanied Mark Cavendish on his journey I would say and I think some of those stories well we'll start to remember them as this year winds down and we'll all sort of start to look back on his career from different angles, different perspectives. And as I said, I, I think, you know, over the last three or four years, to a certain extent, um, some of the nostalgia has been drowned out by these big unanswered questions around him. You know, which team is he going to? Is he going to continue for another year? Is he going to get the record? And we've sort of forgotten what he, what he was, particularly in the first half of his career. Yeah, a slight mea culpa for me as well because after the victories at the Tour of Turkey, the comeback that I didn't think was the comeback fitting of a rider of his sort of stature and past achievements, quite happy to sort of hold my hands up and say slightly wrong about that because he did then go on to win stages at the Tour de France and that really was the Hollywood uh, denouement really, wasn't it? That uh, the, the, the entirety of his career did deserve um, but no, a very nice piece. It made me feel quite wistful and nostalgic. Uh, friends of the podcast, of course, will have had that episode drop directly into their feed. If you'd like to sign up as a friend of the podcast, go to thecyclingpodcast.com. And, well, all of the Kilometre Zeros are on that Friends of the Podcast feed from the Giro. Just a couple of other things, Daniel. I, I didn't get a chance to tell you yesterday, remind you, that yesterday was the sixth anniversary of Tom de Moulin's impromptu toilet break. I thought I'd mention that mm, just to make you wince. about that. Yeah. <laughs> make you wince. And tomorrow is Geraint Thomas's birthday. He'll be 37. He'll be celebrating it in the mountains, and I don't want to tempt fate, but probably in the pink jersey. On the rest day, when I had uh, our bike ride with Sean Kelly and Rob Hatch, we had a post-ride beer, and Sean asked me whether I thought Geraint Thomas could win the Giro, and I said, yes, I think he could. And then I started to think about how he might be able to do it and I must admit I didn't see him dropping Primoz Roglic but of course that is the only way that he is going to definitively put Roglic out of the picture isn't it excellent ride by Thomas yesterday I thought and also Eddie Dunbar now I am uh, not really one to indulge in uh, a trip to the bookmakers these days uh, but I did notice However, that he, yeah. he yeah. was 70 to 1 to win the Giro which would have made a very attractive each way bet for the podium and I sort of speculated about the possibility of Dunbar making it onto the podium not completely out of the question if he rides like he did yesterday and another couple sort of slip behind him really impressive ride by Dunbar is this a prelude to you announcing to me that you're about to retire to uh, I don't know country (laughs) estate indefinitely not Watford unfortunately not Daniel unfortunately not And just finally, yesterday we asked for suggestions for a suitable cause for the money raised by the sale of Stacey Snyder's beautiful Giro d'Italia cups and gelato bowls. And quite a number of people suggested causes in Emilia-Romagna, the area that's been so badly affected by the flooding this month. Among them, listeners Paul, Leon, Mel, also our press room colleague from Velo News, Jim Cotton. They've suggested uh, either... 
uh, specific charities that are raising money for people affected by that flooding and I'll go through some of those and we'll we'll, we'll work out uh, a deserving cause to donate that money to. I think that's a fitting one, Daniel. Excellent. Certainly agree with that, Lionel. Well, Lionel, I guess we'll check in again tomorrow. As you know, I'm still having battery problems with my phone. Um, the, the incident accident whatever it was um that happened on the first day of the Giro. well it's not been fully the the consequence of that i've not been fully resolved <laughs> it's been a struggle all Giro to get my phone above about 10 percent battery and i'm down to i think 0.5 at the moment so i better cut oh. i better end this call right now what percentage battery are you on though daniel with a few days uh, left to go oh no i'm doing fine I'm, I'm doing absolutely fine um i worked out the other day this is my i think this is about my 23rd consecutive grand tour end to end so you know, I'm well oh. practiced in this now. Oh, you are the Merino La Jareta of the cycling yeah. podcast, that's for sure. Yeah. We'll explain. We'll explain that reference another time. <laughs> <laughs> Speak tomorrow, Lionel. Cheers, Daniel. The cycling podcast was created in 2013 by Richard Moore, Daniel Freib, and Lionel Burnett. <laughs>